You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And Ryan O. And so this is Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. So we have a special episode we're going to intro. This one ended up running significantly longer than we thought it was going to, which is great. And so we ended up splitting this into two different episodes. So you're going to hear part one today with some special guests. Yes. Yeah, so we have a couple of fantastic guests that I've met online. I've been a guest on their show at various different times. And we're going to explore and kind of see where we can go when it comes to the previous discussion that we had on dog breeds and aggression. Yeah. Basically, what you're going to have is we're going to have two different conversations that, that we're going to split into two, and and that's what you're going to hear today. Um, before we start, I want to say that uh, we are now on Spotify. So if you're listening to this, you probably Woo-hoo. weren't listening to it on Spotify before, but hey, if that's your preferred way of going, uh, we're there now, and, and anybody you know who uses Spotify and is like, I don't want to do podcasts on any other podcast app, uh, we're there now. So that's kind of cool. Which, I don't know if you saw this, Abraham, there was a big merger uh, this week with Anchor being acquired by Spot- Spotify. So Was it, uh, was it is Gimlet Media? I wonder if Anchor was one of their subsidiaries or if Spotify just absorbed both of them separately. Uh, they're, yeah, they're all been absorbed. So oh, okay. there's, there's a lot of movement going on. And the cool thing is there might be a lot new. There's supposedly maybe going to be some disruption in the type of features and whatnot. So if okay. you're a podcast listener, what I'm getting at is maybe just check in on Spotify now and then because uh, there's a lot of new technology that might might be coming out of there is, is my guess. Sweet. And then second, of course, if you are a fan of the show and want to support it in some way, there is always Patreon. And uh, other ways to do that that don't involve necessarily spending money is just telling people word of mouth, leaving reviews, tagging us on social media, that sort of stuff. Uh, there's ways that you can support the show. Yeah, which we decided after this recording, uh, because we have everything on Zoom, that we're going to start sending out a raw Zoom link for people to go in and just listen to the podcast uh, in that video format as well. So Is that for Patreon you're... supporters only or everybody? Patreon supporters. Uh, maybe we can trickle those out over time. Okay. But an incentive of joining in, helping us out, and like some additional values, you get to see the, the conversation in more of a raw form. Yeah, very raw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, I have to try and bleep some swearing or something. We'll, we'll cut them <laughs> down. But And then so, that's, so many mistakes. <laughs> that's www.patreon.com backslash podcast is where you would be able to do that. So yeah, check that out. We're finally figuring out how to use that platform more in other ways. So it's yeah. time to start ramping it up. Yeah. All right. So without any further ado, as they say, uh, let's Drum go ahead and roll. dive. Yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. All right. This is Abraham, Ryan O, and Shane. And so Welcome. this is why we do what we do. Welcome to your favorite consumable psychology podcast. At this point, I feel like you and I are just fighting for who gets to start talking first after we've said our names, which is totally okay. But all right, anyway, we, we need to get we need to get on topic here because we've got a very exciting episode today. Yes, we have guests from different sides of the globe joining yep. us today. It is super exciting. We're all sort of connected from all over the place. This is cool. Yes. So we had a episode talking about dog breeds and personalities yeah and it sparked some cool conversation especially with a couple people that know something about animal behavior so we are super excited to introduce you to two different guests uh we have hannah Brannigan and ryan cartledge hannah why don't you say what's up to everybody 
Hey, what's up? This is Hannah. <laughs> and Ryan. Uh, kia ora, everyone from New Zealand. That is our indigenous way of saying hello. If anyone knows uh, <laughs> Maori people in New Zealand. <laughs> That's cool. All right, very good. So let's let's go ahead and give a little background on you, on you two, sort of what you do, um, why, why you're here, what you're going to talk to us about today. I'll start with you, Hannah. Sure. Um, so uh, again, I'm Hannah. I'm in North Carolina, so I'm on the East Coast. Um, so I won the time zone lottery for this particular meetup. But um, yeah, so um, I'm I'm a, I'm a dog trainer. I have my own podcast. Um, I do a lot of dog things. So dog behavior is really my main area of interest. I've been working with dogs and people. It's really actually I'm working mainly with teaching people how to teach dogs uh, in that area. So that's uh, that's where I spend most of my time and thought and effort. And what's Perfect. the name of your what's the name of your podcast? So everyone can know. My Dale. podcast is Drinking from the Toilet. <laughs> yes, I love the title. <laughs> Has anyone ever mistaken that for like toilet wine from prisons? Have you gotten any like feedback? From, I mean, like people who write to you, they're like, "I want to learn about making not until just now." Actually, that oh, okay. was the uh, first reference of that type that I have ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any experience with that. Congratulations, Abraham. <laughs> <Just, Dave. laughs> <laughs> just I've never it, heard of it myself. A, what? Orange is the new black? No, I guess you wouldn't know. You don't watch yeah, things. Yeah, sorry. Pop culture. <laughs> We're too, too hipster for TV over here. So. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Ryan, tell us about yourself, what you do. Firstly, there's a whole bunch of prisoners like really angry when they listen to Hannah's podcast that it's not what they thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, I, I fully lost this time lottery with this. It's 5am here in New Zealand. Uh, I've never done a podcast oh at 5am. so we'll... <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. And so everybody That's knows cool. he was literally filling up with an entire pot of coffee on camera into his coffee cup <laughs> as he's getting ready for this. Yeah, um, I appreciate it, man. What do you do? You've got a really cool thing going on down there. Uh, yeah, so I've been working mainly in zoos for the past decade, uh, training birds of all animals to fly around and do cool things for people, and we, then we can help uh, open up their minds and we can dump information in about conservation. That's kind of been my, my focus for most of my career. Uh, now I run a business called Animal Training Academy, whose mission it really is to help as many animals and their humans as possible. Uh, the way that we do this is creating online content with amazing p- people that are subject matter experts from around the world, such as Ryan O'Donnell and Hannah Brannigan, uh, who have both been on <laughs> guests on the Animal Training Academy podcast show. Uh, and then we take all of this content that we create, and we've been doing that for about four years now, and we build a community, we build a tribe around that content and we use that information to help out people with their individual training and behavior goals uh, online so yeah i must say it's a really strong positive community man um c- congrats on what you and the the team's built so it's all because of the tribe members i just kind of sit here and scratch my head and go oh my god what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I swear that every person who's ever made like a meaningful contribution and is like uh, like a a decent human being has always said, I didn't do anything. Like, it's just the cool people around me. That's that's just sort of the humble way that people seem to do. So. Well, my, yeah. mentor, my mentors always <laughs> used to say, don't try to be the smartest person in the room. Just surround yourself with people that are way smarter than you. So that's kind of what the that tribe is. is. That is, I hope. Awesome advice. Love it. 
Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start diving into this topic. Um, as Ryan introduced at the beginning, we invited you here because we we tried to take on this episode where we were talking about dog personality. And initially, my intention with that discussion was simply to talk about the contributing factors to personality. But in doing the research and preparation, I came into contact with a lot of really specific information about aggression and breed specific legislation around things like aggression. But what was what became, um, I think, apparent inside of that conversation was that there needs to be more of a discussion about what that is and sort of how it works. So maybe a good starting place here is to start if you guys would speak to why animals could be aggressive in the first place. Like that's you know, sort of the big, you know, initial question we we kind of want to answer. And then we can dive into those specific examples or other, you know, other topics, whatever. Um, <laughs> either one of you, whoever wants to kick so us off. Go I'll, for it. I'll, <laughs> I'll jump in. I, I think, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about the why, there's kind of two layers that we could go through. So there's like the immediate, like what are the, uh, immediate conditions, like the precipitating events that are kind of inducing or or setting the stage for where we see this aggressive behavior. But then we also like to zoom out a little bit more and talk about it on kind of like a, I don't know, more um, sort of cognitive level almost and talk about like, what are the emotions behind, you know, why someone does, well, why you do what you do, why a dog would react aggressively. And, and we tend to use a lot of words like fear or anger or rage, uh, frustration. And those are sort of the emotional states, which we would need to unpack, but that are often associated with this group of behaviors. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the, one of the common communication problems that we have when we're talking, at least that I have when I'm talking with other trainers or dog owners about aggressive behavior is they say, well, he's not really aggressive. He's just afraid. Or he's not really aggressive. He's angry. That's so interesting. It it is it is really interesting. And, and then there's a lot of stuff which I know we'll get into later. But um, I think it's it's uh, the 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 most common reasons that I would get called in to come help with an aggressive situation is usually um, it is most commonly that that the dog is. Um, is afraid is, you know, is, is feeling fear um, or they're trying to defend themselves. These are all ways to explain kind of the same, again, kind of, kind of same set of events, but those would be the words that, that we would commonly use. They're afraid of either you know, being hurt through some kind of handling or there's an unfamiliar person coming in to their, to their territory, or they're trying to protect a resource that's important to them, like food, which again, you kind of, you kind of trace that back to a potentially, um, being afraid of not having enough food or afraid that someone's going to take the food from you. And so those would be some really common scenarios where um, aggressive behavior would be displayed that would be problematic and someone would reach out and get help for. And then, Ryan, what's your your experience been with dealing with aggression in animals? And you can speak specifically to, to birds if that's where you have some relevant examples or you know any, anything that you've sort of seen you think would help speak to that. And anything else you have to add? Yeah, so working in zoos, I work with... Uh, everything, but predominantly birds, and I've got some really great examples throughout my career. Uh, I, I, I have to be honest. I, I don't spend ages going, "Why is this animal doing what it's doing?" Uh, because a lot of the time, I don't even have that information. Um, especially if you think about working in zoos, uh, an animal 
like that is its world like it doesn't know anything different right and so it lives there all the time and it gets fed when it gets fed it gets enrichment when it gets enrichment people go into its space when people go into its space and it just has to deal with it Uh, and one thing that it has to deal with is that holy how where did that person that used to look after me go and who's this new person who's like here every day now so you're walking into that space like with that animal's entire learning baggage basically and then i'm just trying to go into those spaces and look what this animal's doing and so for example one of the first animals i ever trained was a big wedge-tailed eagle and it used to i could work with this animal outside of its um, housing space in a in an educational setting where it would fly up to my glove so we wear these big eagle gloves eagle gauntlets and fine this was all okay and it looked great and i felt comfortable and the bird seemingly felt comfortable but when i went into its housing space it would fly up my head with massive talents interesting yeah um and so i mean i was completely green at that time so i didn't really have uh the knowledge that i have now the experience that i have now but if i was going to go into that same situation now i think i would just kind of look at the behavior in the moment because a lot of the time we don't have all of that information previously and even if we do, like Hannah says, I think there's communication challenges when you're trying to pull out, like how did this animal uh, learn that these behaviours were the appropriate behaviours to get at what it wants in the present moment? Uh, I'm reminded of a podcast episode Hannah did recently actually with a guy called Shirag Patel. And Shirag said, sometimes if we don't listen to the animal's whispers, then we've got to listen to their, their screams, Hannah. I probably butchered that quote, but <laughs> it's close. Yeah. <laughs> the, the The idea is these animals are probably trying to communicate to people, hey, you know, you're you're too close to me, or uh, this is my resource, back off. And people have, or other animals have ignored that, and then animals kind of had to learn more intense behaviours to protect something or move it away from something or move it towards something um so i kind of just acknowledge that that's probably happened there could be some neurological things it could be some pain like i don't know a lot of the time and hannah would be the same going into dog clients i'm assuming mm-hmm. and so we kind of try to extract all of that information but my main focus and i think where my energy is best spent to help this animal and to help the people and myself if i have a wedge-tailed eagle flying up my head is to focus <laughs> focus on the behavior in the present moment and how i can use what i know and set the environment up well uh, and and use contingencies and reinforcement to to move this animal towards behaviors that we might not label as aggressive i don't know if that answers your question but i hope it does well no i think you guys actually both let me just sort of say what I heard inside of that because I, I thought that both of those contributions were super valuable and and certainly one thing I heard inside of that is that there is not necessarily just a reason that animals are aggressive, right? It, it, it depends on a lot of factors and I really like the point that you're making that they – there's, there's essentially like a momentary condition that makes that behavior the most accessible thing for them and that – if we can figure out how to attend to what that situation is, if we can notice the cues that are what the, what's going on for that animal, as you, I think as you were saying that with the whisper, um, that that's the you know the be a thing that helps predict and really inform what's going on, um, and and when you're likely to be in a situation where that animal's best response is to talon you in the face or or bite you. I, I think that's that's great and I, I agree completely like other other and it's really so it's really interesting so to kind of take a little bit of a, a side path here phrases that I will often hear if a new client calls me that I'm coming in to help them with 
an aggressive behavior problem, phrases that they will often use are things like out of the blue and for no reason. Mm. And yeah. That's those aren't really true. That's totally a perceptive and I uh, perception of of the the human. And they always want to know why. You know why is my dog doing this? Because this feels like such a horrible violation of this trust that human animal bond. And I try to give them enough information to help them get some context around the behavior. But but truthfully, anyone who works with dogs who works with dog aggression in in an otherwise we'll just say neurologically healthy animal. So like there's not something totally bizarrely organic brain tumor, something really random like that. Um, there's always a reason, right? There's always a, a function to the behavior. The, be the animal is behaving for some effect. It may not be yeah. obvious to us as a human. It may not be obvious from the outside. And, um, and like a shrug was pointing and, and, and uh, Ryan brought up there, there are usually whispers. There are smaller behavioral signs that were happening beforehand, not necessarily yeah. recording in the moment, but like in the you know, weeks, months, years leading up to the event that caused the, the, the human, the owner to perceive the problem. There were, there were things that, you know, the dog was, um, maybe was uncomfortable with, um, with a particular type of handling, you know, didn't, didn't really like having, and I'm, and I'm being really anthropomorphic here, but, um, <laughs> the, didn't really like having, um, having his collar touched or didn't really like having his nails trimmed or was uncomfortable yeah. with, uh, an unfamiliar man, um, walking into his house or, or walking into his, um, you know, his home or, or his space. Um, I'm, un were, I'm uncomfortable with that too. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the who wouldn't be right. Like that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, and so there's there are there is usually some kind of build up, and one of the things that um, as a trainer that we have to that we learn to recognize is what are what's kind of that behavioral sequence of of those warning signs before it hits the threshold where your average human is going to recognize oh I'm there's there's a situation here there's a threat here uh, that's going to yeah. happen and um and I, and I think Ryan's exactly right. What I really need to know when I'm coming in there is is less the the kind of existential why why would my dog do this to me does he does he not love me um, and more okay well let's what happened immediately before he was laying on his bed and then what happened before the bite occurred or before he started growling and I need to know what what's the specific change that occurred that that happened right before the behavior that we're concerned about. There's so there's actually there's two things that occurred to me as you were speaking, and one of them is that you mentioned the idea of there being like an organic component, and I think you said something to the effect, and I, pardon me if I'm if I miss saying what you said, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something to the effect of like aside from the organic, if it's like a brain tumor or something, and and uh, is that is that what you said? Probably, I believe it. Okay, <laughs> okay. So um, what what sort of occurred to me it, when you said that was that there's if you if you factor in the thing like the organic and, and obviously you couldn't tell just by looking at it that that was going on but even even in that case let's say that there is a tumor mm -hmm. that will then alter what kind of things are that that dog needs in the moment yes. and that are effective for that dog to get what it needs yes and it can yeah. get really weird and I've, I've worked with a few cases where it did turn out that there was effectively a wiring problem um yeah. not you know that, that the, the responses did not fit air quotes, normal, um, right. normal reasons. And then, and, and the, again, this is extremely uncommon. The vast, vast 99.999% of the cases that I worked with, we were able to, to pinpoint something more specific, but you know, we will have a dog with a brain tumor. And then there's usually other problems, right? That's not, 
the only problem isn't right. that he doesn't like his nails trimmed and he bites if you try to 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 brush his <laughs> right um that's uncommon but um but there can be yeah. other other health things that can contribute like pain he's arthritic or he's he's got a skin allergy yeah or ear that's infections those sorts of things can absolutely contribute and and contribute to what he needs in that moment maybe the last six years of his life he was loved having his ears petted and all of a sudden today when i tried to pet his ears he snapped at me oh gosh he's got a raging ear infection that makes his ears painful that totally changes what he needs uh, on this particular day yeah uh, sort of like uh, i was thinking of the analogy that if the dog was the computer that like every sometimes in a computer there's something wrong with the software but 99 percent of the time it's user error like yeah. you're doing yeah, something yeah, yeah, wrong yeah. <laughs> and uh, i actually just have a story about that really briefly i have a i have a cat who one day he just started yowling as he's walking around and then i tried to touch him and tried to bite me and bat at me and i um i was trying i was like man what's ha-? like it seemed to come out of nowhere and i just I, all i did was observe him for a few moments and realize he's really favoring his leg what he had done is he had pulled a tendon in his leg um and so he couldn't actually straighten it all the way um without a lot of pain and so he was trying to climb and move around and like he was trying to basically outrun the pain and that just made it worse so i had to take him into a vet and get him a uh, get him all comfortable so he'd stop doing that so he'd leave it alone and get on some, some kind of medication that helped loosen that up but but yeah so that i think anybody who that could catch someone mm-hmm. off guard and have them be like, man, my, my cat is crazy all of a sudden for no reason. Um, but there was actually like a legitimate mm-hmm. cause that's going on. So cool. All right. Well, I think I, I actually specifically tried to set that question up initially so that you guys could both deconstruct it in exactly the way <laughs> that you did because and it is because I think the the question why is something that happens all the time. And part of the reason that I wanted to call this show why we do what we do is that like the why is always this sort of like, you know, that's not, there's nothing really much to answer inside of that. And I had a mentor who said, instead of when someone asks why I always reframe it in my head as under what conditions. And, and I thought that that was a, a clever way of sort of thinking about when someone's asking why there kind of isn't ever, but there is a different way of interacting with that question. And so, so you guys did a great job, I think sort of tearing that apart, which is perfect. And the next part, and this is also setting you up to sort of tear it apart, is thinking about are there specific species or in in the case of dogs, specific breeds um, that you can think of that are are factors that uh, an animal would be more aggressive? If you just think of like, well, this animal is always going to be more aggressive than this animal. And to an extent, I think you could basically say something like, you know, a, a turtle's generally going to be less aggressive than a I'm going to say it depends on the species of turtle and the conditions. Ooh, okay. Perfect. Love it. I love it. And that's that's a great place. Let's go and launch off from there. Yeah. Go for it. Either one well, of I'm, you may I'm, jump in. I'm reminded of uh, the teachings of one of my mentors, Dr. Susan Friedman, who reminded us that there's – I'm going to have to just take this slowly so I say it right. Uh, there's more variation – within a species than between species or within a breed than between a breed breed so if you imagine uh, and, and she calls it a statistician's tenant so if you imagine that there's two standard bell curves for aggression for yeah. a likelihood of aggression let's say in poodles and shih tzus right and then you've got the average the average shih tzu that demonstrates 
the average mm-hmm. breed specific amount of aggression for that breed and then with your standard bell curve you've got extremities of that and you've got so you've got a shih tzu that like does nothing but aggresses and then you've got a, you've got a shih tzu <laughs> yeah. that does no aggression at all like you can do whatever you want to this dog and it's gonna be like cool just give it to me i'm fine i'm just gonna rely here and relax right um, and then yeah. you can plot that standard bell curve against the poodle one and if you look at the difference between the two means so the average amount of aggression from a poodle versus the average amount of aggression from a shih tzu that difference is smaller than the difference between this, those extremities on the shih tzu standard bell curve so yeah. you know that that's something that I learned from Susan when I did her living and learning with animals course way back at the start of my zoo career and that stuck with me and so right from the start I just I just kind of banished this thought in my mind that this animal is doing it because it's a shih tzu and let and to be honest with you I just ignored it and I I learned everything I could about shih tzus <laughs> I haven't worked like with a ton of shih tzus, but eagles <laughs> <laughs> or worked with a shit ton of shih tzus. What, 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 do you, what do you call a zoo with no dogs? A shih tzu. <laughs> <laughs> Ge- geese, Puns. eagles, cockatoos, whatever. Uh, I I just ignored it, and I ignored what everyone was telling me. You know, I went to work with a sulfur crested cockatoo. Oh, that animal's aggressive. Like, so there's a bird called Billy I worked with. He doesn't like males. I was like, well, two weeks later, he was working mm. very well for me. Nice. Because um, I listened to the bird's whispers. No one else cool. did. And they blamed it on him not liking males. Um, and that was a story that was in the culture of that zoo. So I didn't argue with it. I just used the knowledge that we have to teach this animal new behaviors in the context of males. Or maybe he thought it was a female, you know? We'd have to do more <laughs> testing. I don't know. <laughs> but but what I'm saying what I'm saying is we I just I don't even acknowledge I don't I, I learn everything I can about it. What is the breed tendencies of a shih tzu? What is the breed or the species tendencies of a sulfur crested cockatoo? But when I step in front of that individual animal, I take all of that information, I put it in the background and I listen to what that individual animal in front of me is saying now. So hopefully that gives you a, a, a perspective on the question you asked. Yeah, no, I love that. That's great. I, I agree. I think I think because um, I hear that as well. Like, oh, um, he's like that because he's a border collie, because he's a Doberman. Ugh, no, that's I mean, even if it's so. Even if it's statistically, this 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 uh, particular individual is falling into the the larger statistical group for that particular breed. It still doesn't really help me in terms of practical training plans. Um, okay. I can't change the fact that it's a Shih Tzu or a Doberman. What can I change? I can change the environment, but also I guess the history, like the, there's, there are a lot of things that can influence, um, the decisions that I might make in that place. They can influence, um, the, well, honestly, the size of the problem. So, you know, so, so a couple of things. So one, in terms of dogs, we have bred a lot of dogs, a lot of dog breeds for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years for a specific purpose. And for the most part, we've done a pretty good job of that. So um, agree completely that there's a ton of individual variation within a breed, tons, tons. And breed is never a good 
why or a reason for to see what we're seeing. But but certainly specific dogs that have been selected for being more sp- uh, suspicious, um, uh, for being more having certain behavioral tendencies that we we may want to see. So, for example, a German Shepherd. The breed test for German Shepherds for hundreds of years has been this uh, Schutzhund IPO competition, where there's a protection element. Right? We don't really have time to go probably to go into the whole thing, but but one of the ways that they would select which German Shepherds would be bred was to put them through this effectively training test where there would be a decoy um, wearing protective equipment and he would be hiding behind a blind and the dog has to go find the guy and on various cues bite him. So dogs that, that succeed in that test easily without having to have a ton of training and it's to- learning history is totally part of this. You can never separate learning history from this. But the ones that take the less work are going to be ones that stimulate very easily under those conditions, right? You're more likely to see barking, biting. They're going to be more likely to go forward when they see an unfamiliar person under specific circumstances. Um, and if you were to try to bring Cavalier, King Charles Spaniel, out and put him in the same situation, you're not going to see the same range of behaviors. You would, it would be just so much more work to teach a Basset Hound to chase down a guy on a football field and, and grab his arm, right? Like that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying you couldn't do it. Somebody could do it. But man, you'd really have to be committed. It would take a lot more work. So that selective breeding does contribute. Sure. Yeah. And then in the, you know the other the other side, which is something that again is is on the ground going into people's houses, um, the size and strength of the dog makes a big difference. So if you do have a Shih, a Shih Tzu, which is a very small dog with a lot of hair and a small mouth, um, they're they're a short faced breed. I cannot run a Shih Tzu, right? That makes a big difference than if it's an 80-pound German Shepherd, and I, and I love Shepherds, I work with Shepherds, but in terms of the recommendations that I'm going to make, um, they're going to be very, very different. The The safety um, procedures I'm going to put in place are going to be really different. If I'm working with guinea pigs versus elephants, same problem. Parakeets versus an Amazon, <laughs> kind of same problem. Bigger individuals may present a bigger problem, similarly because they have bigger teeth. Yeah, you know? for sure. That, I think, influences whether I get called or not, because a miniature poodle with an aggression problem is much less likely, well, it's much less likely to be perceived as a problem. Yeah. Uh, Because it would take a lot of miniature poodles to bring down a person. (laughs) I I love that. That's a great image. I love that image so much. So I just need to say this real quick before we dive into anything else. First, um, the term eagle gauntlet sounds like something from D&D type like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> nice. I love that. And now the image of like a bunch of miniature poodles taking down a criminal is like a police force of miniature poodles. I think that we need to start working on this. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like zombies are more of a threat in numbers. So you just you just need miniature poodles everywhere. And then they just become overwhelmed by sheer For sure. volume. <laughs> For sure. So and so there there are there are a lot of factors to how big of a how big of a, a problem behavior is there's also you know how how likely that behavior is to be displayed it's more likely in some dogs and i i will say i mean i i have worked with some really challenging small dogs that displayed aggressive behaviors or behaviors in that category with very little very low threshold for that and they very um it's it's really high in their playlist you know like it's one of the first behaviors they hit on and so it's a lot uh, a lot more work to try to bring them, uh, give them other behaviors to, to try yeah. in those situations. Um, on the other hand, if you have an 80-pound dog, 
even if they exhibit those behaviors fairly infrequently, that one time may be all that it takes. I mean, it, it just it changes the dynamic. It changes how the precautions that we have to take and how serious um, of a problem. Horse, same problem with horses, right? Like it's it's a, a horse that is aggressive occasionally is going to have I mean, that's that's a big problem. Yeah, um, it's a bigger in impact. Any individual. Yeah, bigger impact in any individual. So I, I think that's something we also really really need to bring up is this this is not a characteristic that's inherent to any particular individual dog or horse or or bird or whatever. These are normal behaviors that any any individual may express. We may just run into those behaviors earlier or more frequently with some individuals and that's where it becomes more of a problem. So there's there's not we 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 can get real hung up on this um categorization of good dogs versus bad dogs and that really only works in a disney <laughs> movie in in real life there's it's not two categories they're all just dogs and we we may have a dog that has a lower threshold for those behaviors we may have one that may have a higher threshold but any dog any dog if you you know if you run to the right set of conditions can express these behaviors and and that can be a problem because they're they do have big teeth you know it, it i'm jumping ahead a little bit in saying this but when you said that it immediately resonated with me of that's that's also true for um for humans as well i was uh, thinking the same thing yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's like that's that i think that's a really great way to sort of characterize when you see terrible behavior from people that that is a a very useful way of framing well, that. Well, like like when you work with younger kids, like uh, like a smaller child that bites you is less of a problem. You're like, oh, it's kind of cute, and they'll grow out of it. And then when you have like a 32 year old man that bites you, you're like, what the hell was that? Like that sucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot of experience, a lot of experience with that. Yeah, Shane. too too much. <laughs> I I would say one would be too many yeah. on that. In yeah, that right. Situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you, would you rather be attacked by one big 32-year-old man or 13 little 5-year-old <laughs> humans? Both are terrible. <laughs> one, yeah. one German Shepherd or 12 little There you people. go. When I step into a case that the word aggression is being used by the people that I'm working with, some of the first questions we ask, just to go back, way back to what Hannah was saying earlier, is has this animal had a vet check recently? Mm. Um, so we go nail out that stuff. And then we ask... You know how does this how does this behavior fit into the species natural history? Sure. Uh, you know what, what how does it make sense from this animal surviving in the wild? Um, so just to uh, include that those components are the first questions we, that I ask. I can't say we ask because I can't speak for other people, but that they're some of the first questions that I start to think about before I start to go into okay, cool. What are the antecedents and consequences surrounding this behavior, and what does they look like for this yeah. animal? Uh, what's his diet, what's his activity space, all that kind of stuff. Um, so just wanted to inject that in there. I thought it was relevant at this point. No, I think that's, that's great. Yeah, and I think uh, I've actually, um, as part of when I was uh, initially going through my training in in, our, in my field, that there was a discussion that occurred around it is an ethical consideration that when you have a behavior that's really abnormal for that particular individual to ask, is there, like, let's get a medical checkup yeah. immediately. Like, let's figure out, because presumably if, if you cannot identify anything immediately that's changed for them in terms of just what's going on in their life, then well, I need to figure out if something's going on medically. And, and, and again, it's not that, that that happens a lot. Like you usually can pinpoint some kind of variable that was going on for them in their life that that usually shipped up over time or was just the best response in the moment. But that there are those instances where we have a kid who's fully potty trained and all of a sudden they're like wetting the bed and they're, they're, 
they're no longer um, using the, the toilet effectively. Let's figure out what's happening and, and find out what's going on. And, and maybe it was some kind of infection that they had or something. Or there could be other horrible things going on that I don't want to dive into now. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's stuff to a great consideration. So I appreciate that. Has, yeah, has yeah. anyone? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's, I mean, that's that, that exact scenario. Well, except for anyways, is, is, is one that, that I talk about in terms of looking for red flags. If you have an adult animal with a sudden behavior change, you have a seven-year-old dog who's always been housebroken is all of a sudden having accidents in the house. We need a vet check before we go any further. We need a thorough, thorough physical exam, blood work, urinalysis, because nine times out of 10, an adult dog that's never urinated in the house suddenly does. There's an infection or, or kidney disease or diabetes or something has happened biologically that is that is yeah setting the stage for that behavior it's not a train problem and you don't there's nothing feels worse than being three weeks into a, a strict house training protocol and find out that the dog yeah. has a UTI. like that's yeah a jerk Yikes. at that point have you has, <laughs> has anyone here seen the movie uh brain on fire no um, so i, I watched I've read it the book yeah. Yeah. it's nuts isn't it so i, I just 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 briefly because i think it's uh got relevance to where everyone's at in this conversation uh, and you as a listener I watched it a few days ago, and it's about this girl who just had these intense, sudden changes in behavior. So she was a journalist at a paper, and she was successful, and she was living life normally as a young woman uh, in New York. And she just she started having seizures firstly, and then she started screaming randomly, uh, acting irrationally at work, not sleeping, seeing things. And she got admitted to the hospital and they were literally about to send her to a psych ward for the rest of her life uh, under the label schizophrenia. So this is a true story. And then they they managed to find a specialist who came in, who asked great questions, did some tests, found out she had an infection in her brain and cured her really easily. Wow. Uh, and then and she wrote a book about it and now she helps people out in that similar situation. Wow. And you think about all of the people that got labeled schizophrenic that had an easily curable disease like her that end up living in psych wards. So if you think about aggression uh, and all of the animals that get labeled as as aggressive or humans that get labeled as aggressive when there potentially isn't enough diagnosis done to unpack the real reason why, I mean, that's some pretty huge human error. I mean, I don't know if you can even call it that because... I can't. You can't judge a doctor in that context trying to help that girl with the information that they have. Yeah, um, but sure. It's a, a dim. Sorry, yeah. go. On. Well, it's like it's like when it gets like uh, anything like that that gets treated improperly. I mean, you're looking at problem behavior, and there's some medical etiology related to it, and then it's being treated improperly. We just talked about that on the lobotomies episode, where it's like people who were aggressive, they weren't looking at context. They were looking at this person's aggressive. Let's let's do this instead of actually looking at what the what the actual problem was so uh it sounds like that yeah, still happens it can go both ways yeah yeah and they got super out of hand with that kid who like he would turn on lights during the day and his parents were like oh my god he's a lunatic yeah we got we got to get him a lobotomy yeah. <laughs> this kid's turning on lights while there's daylight outside jesus <laughs> yeah yeah it was nuts man so all right think about, well, think about what happens with dogs and yeah homes. right it's true it's true and i i do i am I mean, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how, how massively I am in favor of getting a thorough physical exam and blood work before proceeding with any kind of behavior modification. Because if it is something like a UTI or an ear infection, oh my God, just, you know, let's fix it. Right. Wouldn't it be great if it was? How, I mean, beha- behavior problems are so infrequently that easy that you can treat it with a pill. Yeah. But when it is, let's take advantage. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and there can be other more subtle things. Thyroid is, uh, hypothyroidism is something that comes up a lot in, in, in certain behavior circles. Um, and again, it's probably not, it's not a cause of the behavior in that the reason he's aggressive is because his thyroid is low. Well, no, there were still environmental events or stimuli that were causing and, and, and reinforcement and play contingencies in play. But if he doesn't feel really good, because his his hormones are are out of whack. Yeah. Let's fix that because that's going to make our behavior mod work a lot better. It's it's, right. it's you can't slice out body and brain and behavior very cleanly because there's there's always it's you know it's the the whole things operating within the environment is a unit. That's right. a right, beautiful right. way to sum that up in like a, just yeah. a couple sentences. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, well said. So you guys have sort of already touched on this a little bit. There is this the scripter that we use that we call aggression. So if you want to just speak to like what the definition is of aggression, and then also you can build inside of your your discussion there some of the nuances or implications of using that definition. And then if you want to also tag on there, if there might be types or subtypes and how that might be relevant. Well, I mean, so I think defining aggression is a really big problem, actually. There are a lot of different definitions. I actually... When I when I saw that on the notes, I was like, "Well, how would I define aggression?" And and um, and this is something that I've soapboxed about previously. And so I decided to jump in. Let me look at a couple of my books and what are how are different authors and um, and and trainers defining it. Um, and there there are a ton of there are a ton of different definitions. And one of the biggest problems I have with most of the definitions is they tend to have that that kind of circular element, which makes for a crappy definition. Yeah. <laughs> And there's, there are a lot, there tends to be a lot of terms in there that we would need to unpack or operationalize in order to make anything useful um, with that definition. And we tend to, in the dog world at least, we, we make it even more complicated by trying to make this difference between, air quote, aggressive and air quote, reactive behavior as two different things. He's not really aggressive, he's just reactive. Well, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by those <laughs> things? So I think... There's right. and the other problem I have with a lot of the definitions that we use for aggression, especially when we're trying to differentiate between aggressive and reactive or other types of behavior, is that there is it assumes knowledge of intent. So the aggressive behavior intends to harm the other individual. And that's a big assumption. Yeah. Um, that we, I don't think we can always make. So I think the for my purposes, going with a more kind of ethological definition where uh, the aggressive behavior is directed towards reducing competition or eliminating competition either by injuring, um, inflicting pain, or warning um, of those uh, consequences if, if nothing changes, So, which, of course, implies sort of a negative reinforcement um, element there. But most books will differentiate between aggressive behavior and predatory behavior interesting which is a problem which is a which which makes a lot of sense like of course a lion that's taking down a gazelle in africa is that's not an it's not an aggression problem that's just the lion eating right but if it's if it's your dog taking down your cat that can feel a lot more like an aggressive aggression problem yeah Uh, so throw that out there yeah (laughs) i was just thinking i'm like i could be really aggressive to a bag of chips (laughs) but but i don't think that anyone would call that aggression you know i call it property destruction 
<laughs> you, might, you might also just call it gluttony, extreme, yeah. extreme gluttony. Binging. I'm being pretty aggressive to my coffee at the moment. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I've seen Abraham murder a, a whole ton of chickpeas, so. <laughs> Predatory or aggressive? Uh, maybe a little bit. Pre- maybe a little bit Unclear. both. A little from column yeah. A, a little from B. Yeah. <laughs> when I go into zoos to to work with teams, and and when I'm working with dog people. For me, aggression is behavior, and I'm just—I mean, my my brain immediately like it's it's really unconscious now how it works when someone says the dog's being aggressive. My brain just goes, "What does that look like?" Yeah, and like I I I can't escape that now. I have my behavior glasses on, and they get thicker and thicker every year. <laughs> and and so, but but I but I acknowledge that aggression help it's helpful. Uh, and people are going to use it, but I could. But someone can come to a group of twenty people and say my dog's aggressive, and suddenly we have twenty different definitions of what aggressive is, right? And what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't ever try to stop people from using that word. I I, I teach zoo teams to say, here's how you interpret your animal's body language. Give give me uh, an idea of what you're hypothesizing. Like Hannah said, if there's internal, if there's intent there tell me that what is your hypothesis what's going on here and then and then after you've done that tell me the ethological significance of this behavior for this species for this individual i want to know that information cool once you've done that then tell me what was happening immediately before the behaviors that you're labeling as aggressive happened and then tell me what those behaviors were and then tell me what happened immediately after and so i call this my my five-step guide to interpreting animal body language that i chuck at keepers so once again it's um What's your hypothesis about the internal state of the animal? What's the ethological significance of the behavior? What were the antecedents? What is the behavior? What is the consequence? And then I get the information I want that's probably going to be most helpful to me to help mm-hmm. this animal and these people. But I also get uh, an idea of what the feeling is around this uh, and, and, and it will be in my mind when I'm working with that animal. Often I see different things. Does that answer your question? It's not a definition of aggression. Uh, and, and sorry, go on. No, yeah, Abraham. I think um, that's that's exactly it. Is I think I was alluding to the fact that you can kind of define it any way that you want and then find non-examples of that definition. And, you, and whatever definition you provide will maybe give you a basic frame, framework of what you're then going to describe as aggression when you are observing an animal's behavior, right? And so I guess one of the things, one of the reasons I specifically wanted to ask this question is in a discussion that we had with Hannah immediately after we had published our episode on dog personality, um, as you spoke to the idea of there being like, well, what counts as aggression? Is like a nip count as aggression or like a bark? Could that be aggressive or a posture? And that there is some really important nuance and understanding when we're going to start talking about how do we control these animals' behaviors when they're being too aggressive? What do you mean they're being? And so you you did speak to the the, the fact that like just calling it aggression doesn't 
that doesn't prescribe any kind of intervention because you, you automatically don't know anything about it. It's sort of like, and just to throw this in, not because this is relevant, when I was being trained in this field, I worked a lot with children with an autism diagnosis and, and being told that a child has autism. I'm like, great. Now I know nothing about that child. So tell me, tell me what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you may, you just told me they're a human being right now. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to expect. So yeah, if you just want to speak to that. Sure. I mean, the, there's, I, I just thinking about the range of things that I have sort of been confronted with after being called someone says oh I need you to come help me my dog is so aggressive yeah and I'll walk in and I'll find a 12 week old collie puppy who gets excited when his owners come home from work and is grabbing clothing and hands and nipped one of the kids and left a scratch Mm. and now don't get me wrong I love those cases because I can look like a magician (laughs) quickly very high case closure rate in those cases but so I've got like that one end of the spectrum that for my personal definition, is not an animal that's trying to reduce competition. That's just a puppy with, with sharp teeth and poor social skills, and it's, and it's nothing. On the other hand, we may have a dog, and maybe I'll get a call from the vet or the groomer. And, um, and the problem is he's bitten several people, so we have, we have a history of actual contact with damage and blood being drawn, but the owner doesn't really perceive it as a problem because he doesn't really right. mean it. He's not really—he's not really being aggressive. Um, so I need to know a lot more about the specifics, what we're talking about, and this has social significance as well. Because you may have a dog that uh, is at one end of the spectrum, maybe you have a golden retriever who goes out for walks. He loves people so much, but he doesn't have really good leash walking skills. And here comes your elderly neighbor walking down the street, and he gets so excited when he sees her that he pulls the leash out of her your hand. And knocks her over and scratches her with his with his nails. And everything else, if we were to videotape that, his tail is wagging, his body's wiggling, his eyes are blinky, he's all smiles, and it's a it's just a, a horribly awkward attempt at greeting, but the human gets hurt and you get a visit from animal control. And animal control may list this is an aggressive dog. And this is these are real real situations that I have that I have right. worked with. When you're saying that he's aggressive, what exactly is happening? Because it really can be a wide wide range of behaviors um some people consider growling to be a big problem as a trainer small business owner i buy my own health insurance i don't consider growling to be a problem i think growling is amazing please growl before you bite me (laughs) (laughs) let let me know if i'm about to do something stupid that you wish i wouldn't do um so barking and growling that's just communication i'm totally cool with communication communication lets me take a step back and throw some hot dogs uh change what i'm doing (laughs) So I, I'm a big fan of those uh, of those behaviors, but they do for a lot of individuals they do fall along that that trajectory. Right, there's a path, and at one end, at the starting point, the dog is soft and wiggly and blinky, and then maybe his behavior gets slower. He's moving his feet more less frequently. Um, his tail stops wagging. His head goes down. And then the next thing that happens is his mouth closes. And then the next thing that happens is his, uh, his he'll start holding his breath. And then maybe you'll feel this really low frequency through the bottoms of your feet. And if you keep coming, then you get an explosion of barking. And if you keep coming, then you get a bite. Knowing for that learner what that whole trajectory looks like, Let's it gives me more information about where we are on that spectrum and what changes I need to make because I want to see when the change happens from that soft, wiggly, 
um, happy body to the in, more inhibited, stiffer, um, those behavior changes before we get to growling and barking. But if I miss those, by all means, please right, growl. Right, and, and I will reinforce that. <laughs> right. <laughs> to build on everything that's been said, thinking about yeah, Hannah going in there and hearing the word aggression and then kind of going in and seeing what's actually happening. Um, one of the reasons that I, I think don't hold on to that word or give it much of my focus when someone first tells it to me comes back to when I first started and I think removing it immediately and focusing on behavior can actually save lives. Uh, I, I remember a, a goose that was at a wildlife park free free roaming right uh, and it used to it was called aggressive it was, his name was security <laughs> actually. And it used to attack people's shoes and fly them. Uh, one day, it actually knocked over a pram, a baby pram. Yeah. Uh, and then, so it's a, a stroller to those people s- who aren't from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> knocked over a stroller, and and so what happened to this goose is it ended up being confined uh, in in the area where where I was working. And people would walk into the space, and this goose would fly at your head. Uh, I was living with another bird that needed to be trained <laughs> for a show, which made training the other bird challenging. Um, so euthanasia got discussed. Let's let's kill this bird. Uh, for me, it was like, well, the bird just doesn't sit in the enclosure and just fly at the door waiting for a human to walk in. Like, there's a very clear antecedent there that we can start to work with. Uh, and so we we staged and trained this goose within like it took us three days to get this goose to go stand on a black piece of wood when we went in there. Uh, so for me, it's it makes me think about another thing that came to my mind as you were all talking and sharing your stories was that study, uh, and you, you potentially might know more about it than me, where they separated kids up and they called some kids brainy and some kids less brainy. And then yeah. the way that the teachers interacted with those kids was influenced by the information they'd been given about the intelligence of the kids and therefore the kid's learning trajectory was influenced by that. Yeah, and it had nothing to actually do with their intelligence. It was just the way that they framed it. Yeah, so think about the word aggression being thrown around about our animals. Uh, And and if if the clients or the the keeper or whoever has the animal is not lucky enough to have someone like Hannah come in who understands that behavior is what we can see and hear and it's influenced by its environment, then that... right. Right. The word aggression can actually it can actually cause us to come to solutions like euthanasia. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty keen in an early stage to have a discussion about what aggression looks like, uh, and start to move away from actually using that word. Not because I don't think it potentially might be something that fits into a scientific definition that we have of aggression. But because I I want to additionally change how this animal is being perceived, uh, and that it's not this thing that just like the behavior is not inside the animal's head, the behavior is in the environment. Uh, unless there's some neurological stuff going on there, it might be a little bit more complicated than that. The behavior is coming from changes in the animal's environment that's communicating to it, do this now because this is what's worked in the past, uh, and then we're labeling it as aggressive. But if we're, if we're using the label aggression, we've placed the cause of that behavior inside the animal's head, we forget to look for all of those things, and it can cause 
some pretty extreme uh, measures. Yeah, it just kind of highlights that drum we continually beat on this podcast of there's much more than one thing going on here. It's kind of this holistic, like everything's affecting um, in the moment. Okay, so we're going to break in here and and what like I said, we're going to split this into a second episode. So thanks for tuning in. So listen in next week to catch the second half of this discussion with our guests, continuing on to talk more about uh, dog aggression handling. Well, not even just dog aggression, but handling aggression with respect to animals. And I think in this second part, we peppered in quite a bit more discussion around uh, how this relates to human behavior as well. Yes, make sure you check out Hannah and Ryan. Go check out their pages on social platforms and their podcasts. They're, they're, I'm biased having been on it, but I've loved each of them. <laughs> so make yeah. sure you check them out and support each other. So we have a quick listener mail. This one is just a comment that was left on our uh, website for dog breeds and personalities, which is relevant because we're doing a follow-up to that episode now. This comes from Celeste, and she said, I loved this podcast. Thank you for the thoughtful, factual insight into what is, uh, quote-unquote, personality in canines and addressing the disconnect with legislation concerning breed bans. And then she, I love this when they when they answer. She said uh, the answer to your question for the the flying superdog was underdog. <laughs> um, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually I appreciate that. We did have uh, my sister also. Uh, I sent her that episode because she is big into to dog training, and she sent me uh, a text saying, "Hey, underdog dummy." <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah. Um, yeah, Celeste, I believe, is part of our uh, convergence of human and animal training and technology. Facebook group. So I started cycling some oh, of our podcast episodes that are relevant into there. Great. So we, hopefully we're seeing a little bit more engagement from there. But yeah, I believe that's where she found it. And thank you, Celeste. Yeah. Thanks so much for writing in. Thanks for the kind words. And thanks for following up on our question. <laughs> I'm stoked to hopefully see you in Seattle for that event. All right. Perfect. I think that's it. Let's go ahead and wrap this one up here. You can listen at the end to find all of the information on how to contact us. This is Abraham. This is Ryan O. We are out. listening to why we do what we do why we do what we do is supported in part by our amazing patrons thank you if you like what you heard consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast you can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends if you have any comments or questions we'd love to hear from you find us at wwd podcast on your favorite social media platforms You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.